The greatest story ever told, captured in the pages of Scripture and written in stone, powerfully yet tenderly introduces us to the one and only God. So, without further ado, let the curtain open. Now, to set the scene, the nation of Israel is camped on the banks of the Jordan River. All of the original cast of characters from the prince of Egypt, save three, have died in the desert. Two of those, Caleb and Joshua, will be entering the promised land. And the man that is currently at the mic, Moses, is about ready to join his fathers in death before they cross over. Moses is right now at the mic, reminding Israel one last time of the one and only God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt and stands ready to deliver now on his promise. He declares to them again what God's expectations are and calls on them to make a choice, to commit. And this is what he says. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you this day, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God gives you for all time. So there it is. He once again sets before them life and death, blessing and judgment. And as with the nation of Israel, Jesus is still calling upon us today to choose life. Let's pray. Jesus, what an honor it is for all of us and what a privilege it is to be able to, to look to your word as a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We're grateful today that you choose to speak to us from your word, that you've not left us alone and without recourse, but you've given revelation to us from your word. We're thankful, God, for the Ten Commandments and for the guidance that it gives us for our life today, even though it was written hundreds of years ago. And pray that today, God, you would speak fresh life to us from these precious commands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Ron Mill, former pastor of the great Beaverton Foursquare Church, wrote a book bearing the same name as our series about 15 years ago. And uh, I would encourage you, uh, if you're so inclined to pick it up, uh, as it will be a great traveling companion for you these next number of weeks. And I recommend it to you highly. And I'll be quoting from this great book uh, several times this morning. So to your notes this morning... Uh, if you're so inclined, which again, I also recommend uh, really highly as well. Uh, it will help you as you take notes to get ready uh, for your life group and do your homework, which again, if you have not yet discovered the joy of a life group, uh, I couldn't recommend it highly enough to you. Uh, shout out to my uh, former life groupers. I say former, we still stay in contact uh, with Bob and Janice and Alex and Lisa, and we love our life group. So uh, anyway, encourage you in that respect. But number one in your notes this morning, the tender commandments are a love story. They're a love story. Is it a reach to call it a love story? I would suggest to you, absolutely not. Ron Mill says it really well. The Ten Commandments are one of the most powerful examples of God's love in all of Scripture. Some people, of course, imagine it to be the exact opposite. 
They don't hear love in these statements. They hear the clink of chains and the rattle of padlocks. And isn't that how you've heard so many people refer to the Ten Commandments over the years and perhaps even you yourself this morning? Well, to help us to get the right perspective, let's break down the elements of the story for a moment. First of all, the author of the story is God himself. The author is God himself. Exodus 20, as the Ten Commandments begin, God's, God spoke all these words. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. With his own finger, God pinned these commands. There wasn't a ghostwriter that was involved. Um, those of you that, that know your prophetic literature back in Daniel, you know, you, you rem remember the story in that party with all the revelry and the anti-God and all of a sudden this hand comes in and, you know, and that's where we get the, uh, the line, the writing on the wall and all of a sudden this hand comes in and writes this message of judgment on the wall. Now, I don't know if it's the same hand that, you know, visited Moses and actually, you know, that's how I like to imagine it, all right? Uh, you know, being the lover of story. But uh, whatever, God himself authored these commands and put them on stone. The Bible says this, in um, Deut uh, back to Deuteronomy 4, a few verses before, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You are shown these things so that you may know that the Lord is God, and beside him there is no other. The nation of Israel had heard Moses say this before, probably many times. And here they are finally after 40 years of wandering in the desert, and why is Moses taking time to once again underscore these things? Well, we'll get to that more in a little bit, but it needed to be underscored again and again and again in their hearts. And the same is true for us. We need to underscore it again and again and again in our hearts. Beside him, there is no other. What other God has revealed himself in this way? What other God has spoken to a people and yet they lived? So the author is God himself. The context of these commands is love. It is a love story after all, and it is. Now, what I've loved most about Horizon over the years is a heart-first agenda. And that's coming, obviously, from the pastor down. But it's a heart-first agenda, and that was our agenda and still is the agenda of the school. It is a heart-first, not a head-first agenda. And we need to listen to that because, again, oftentimes people look at God as a God of this first and not this first. And the Ten Commandments actually are presenting a God that is this first and not this first. Exodus 19 says this, Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, And listen to the picture 
that, that is painted here. This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob. And what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And this is a great window on the heart of God. As he gives this picture of this, of this eagle, this mom that is, that is ministering to her children and carrying them before they learn to fly on their own, carrying them on her own wings, calling them his treasured possession and a kingdom of priests. We get a window not only on God's heart, but a window on his plan. And I remember the day so very clearly when I was sitting in Pentateuch class. Uh, with Dr. Hobson at Northwest University. And that was the hardest class that I had uh, in my four years of college, but it was also my favorite class. And there were times, you know, as we're weeding through Leviticus and Numbers where you're like, wow. But I remember the day when Dr. Hobson talked in terms of the kingdom of priests that God had called Israel to be. And, and there's a little bit of, now why did God choose this nation and why did he, what, you know, why are they so special? Why are, why are they his favorite children and he seems to let everybody else alone? You know, what's, what's the deal here? But the reality is this. He has called them to be a kingdom of priests for the world. So just like one tribe was called apart and set apart, the tribe of Levi, I think, to, uh, to be priests, God has also called one nation and set them aside to serve the world as priests so that the message of God can be declared to the nation. It is not just for the nation of Israel. It is supposed to be for the world. And the same is true for us. It is not just for us. It is designed to be for the world. That is the plan of God. That he would invest and, and in so investing, this kingdom of priests would declare his glory to the world. God is not presented in Scripture as, as uh, if, you've, if you're a Chuck E. Cheese fan, uh, you know, as, as a whack-a-mole kind of God. And that, there's a lot of people that believe that, that if I just stick my head up a little bit too far, you know, God is, I mean, he knows exactly where I live. I've heard that before. And I mean, he's just going to pound me if I get out of line at all. Or perhaps, better put, now one of, one of the great inventions, you know, obviously, you know, TiVo to, to, uh, uh, to, re, to replace, you know, our VCRs was, was pretty amazing. But this, if you have not yet been introduced to, uh, you know, you've seen the bug zappers before, you know, on your patio, you know, with the little blue light. I mean, it's just great, you know, as you're sitting out there and all of a sudden, you know, and especially when they kind of get caught, you know, I don't get out, you know, all that much, but, you know, when the grasshopper gets caught in there and it doesn't just, you know, fry one time, but multiple, it's dead the first time, all right? So you can enjoy it after that. But, um, <laughs> but, but who knew that you could kind of have your own indoor bug zapper and they put it you know like a tennis racket and uh and you can kind of you know push the button and not only have the joy of killing the fly and the mosquito but just 
just the joy of knowing that their last moments, you know, were suffering moments, you know, as they, as they dared to step across the threshold into your house, right? And uh, I wish I could say that, uh, that our bug zapper was just, uh, you know, used on the flies, uh, you know, in our house, but we'll just kind of move right along. <laughs> but God, a lot of people see God that way. You know, he's just got this, you know, great, and, and, and he is just ready, you know, to put that on your fanny as soon as you get out of line. But he's just not that kind of God. Like a good parent, God desires to both provide and protect. God desires to both provide and protect. I remember one time, uh, as we, we used to be next door neighbors with Kenny and Trish Snyder um, on Cree Circle here in Tualatin, and... Um, I remember we were having a garage sale and, and Cree Circle kind of does a little horseshoe and so there were a lot of cars that were coming in and out and not the best environment for little kids which our neighborhood was full of and I remember one time a car was coming and at that moment, it was that moment where the Frisbee goes out into the road and, and the kids go flying out in the road and I remember just yelling, stop! And I was yelling to the boys. But fortunately, the driver of the car heard that and put their brakes on right in front of, you know, my boys that were right in front. That was one of the many, you know, nine lives moments uh, that we had. But like any good parent, we wanted to protect our boys from danger. And God is the same way. And God wants to also provide blessing. Now, I've been telling teenagers for years that sex in its proper context loses its destructive power. Why? Because God knows in establishing the context that it will protect from all kinds of pain and all kinds of harm and all kinds of destruction if we will do it God's way. Is that God doing this? Or is that God doing this? I would say absolutely. It's this. Why does God give us boundaries? Not just in the sexual arena, obviously, but as, as we're introducing the Ten Commandments, why does God give us boundaries? Because He wants to protect us from the harm that comes when we get outside of His plan and we get outside of His character. And He wants to provide for us. And as you read this scripture over and over again, if you will do this, it will go well with you and you will dwell long in the land that I am promising you, and so will your children. But if you don't, it is not going to go well. Not because I want to pound you, but that's the way it is when you get outside of my character and you get outside of my protective covering. When, when we give the boundaries to our kids and they choose to go outside of the boundary, I remember telling my boys all the time, I can no longer protect you when you go outside of the boundaries that have been established because I can't always be there to take your hand off of the burner and stop you from running out in the street. And the same is true with God. So can you hear God saying that as you review the Ten Commandments? Will you review it with that in mind? That the reason why God doesn't want us to lie is because He wants to protect us from the destructive consequences. And He wants to provide for us the ultimate. He wants us to be known as people of integrity and honesty and have all of the benefits and the blessings of that. And you can click right through the Ten Commandments. It sounds like a love story to me. God did it, Ron Mills said, out of a heart of love. Let me, let me read you a couple of passages of Scripture that are just so well put uh, in his book this morning. 
Ron said he did it out of a heart of love, wanting to remove confusion from our lives, wanting to keep us from the traps and snares of the destroyer, wanting to spare us from the wasting, life-sapping ravages of sin, wanting us to find our destiny as, as his own sons and his own daughters. A couple of pages later, he just, he just puts it so well. He says, love comes in surprising packages sometimes. Love, the real thing, arrives at the front porch of your life in ways you might not expect or immediately recognize. You have to have your eyes open to see it and to receive it. It may come in a normally reserved father's quick tear, or in a teenage son's spontaneous awkward hug, or in a little girl's crayon landscaped created just for you, or in a friend's quiet willingness to put his or her own shoulder under your too heavy load, or on a lonely blood-soaked cross one dark Friday somewhere outside the city gates. Love doesn't always look the way you'd expect it to look. It isn't always dressed for dinner. It isn't always pretty or frilly or soft, and it might even be written in stone. Our ultimate purpose as believers and the ultimate context of our life is love. We are called first and foremost to love. Now, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go to one of my favorite places uh, on the planet, which uh, you might find uh, a little bit of surprise in this and amusement in this, unfortunately, given what's been going on in recent days. But I was in Washington, D.C., uh, actually right as the uh, government shutdown was, uh, was starting. And I, I did my best to help, but, you know, it just, you know, some people just, you know, won't learn. But uh, I was actually there. Uh, you know, we, we have uh, Dick Foth here quite often. And most of you are probably familiar uh, with the kind of subversive behind-the-scenes uh, ministry of the Cedars and the fellowship, and it's just a remarkable work. And uh, one of my best friends, Steve Savlich, I had the opportunity to travel with uh, and be back there for 10 days. And it's just a, such an extraordinary work that is back there and such an incredible influence, not only in D.C., but around the world. And I was talking with um, a couple of hosts, and they have the host homes. They, they kind of serve like the butler, you know, they're just serving people. And people are coming in and out of this big southern plantation house from all around the world. And so I talked to him about some of the people that he'd met and some of the experiences, uh, both of them actually, Bill and Cinny are their names, they're from Illinois, and they were back there serving as they had many times before. And, uh, and I said, so tell me about some of the people that have come across, you, you know, the paths of the cedars and so on. And he talked about just recently um, a couple that was just coming back from Africa, and if I said their names, he's a very prominent author, you'd know who they are. And... Uh, and they, they had just come back from Africa and they brought with them a 10-year-old little boy. And this 10-year-old little boy had been emasculated as part of a witch doctor's ceremony. And um, so they had, they had gotten acquainted with him when they were on one of their ministry trips and at their expense brought him and they came, they came to D.C. and they had found a doctor and had, again, at their expense, they were going to be doing reconstructive surgery on him and um and before he w he went away to surgery he, they literally had to put him in the tub to go to the bathroom because he had been so severely deformed and i think how, how incredible that that this 
that this couple are just so loving that not only at their dime, but also at their tremendous inconvenience and sacrifice, they're ministering to this little boy. It's an amazing story. And it's a story that's still being written. There was also, um, on the last night that I was at the Cedars, and you're going to think I'm making this up, but I promise you I'm not making this up. It is amazing the influence that this group of individuals that are sold out to Jesus, that their only agenda is Jesus. Their only agenda, and they, they have open doors with, with Muslims and Buddhists and people from all around the world and leaders, you know, from kings to paupers. But on my last night at the Cedars, there was actually a sit-down meal with a delegation from Iran and a delegation from Israel. And I saw with my own eyes, I wasn't invited into the dining room, but you'll, you'll, uh, you'll not be surprised by this, but I kind of was peeking through the crack in the door a little bit. But, um, how, I mean, you just think as you look at the news how, how impossible that is. That, that high-ranking officials would be willing to be, break bread together in fellowship. And the thing that's so remarkable as I was talking to Bill is he goes, he goes, oftentimes we don't even know who's coming in here, but we treat everybody the same with the love of Jesus. And that's where the doors for this group are just flying open because their agenda is Jesus. And I would suggest to you and to me that our agenda needs to be all about Jesus in our life. It needs to be all about Jesus. And the context of our agenda always leads with love. Now, the lead of the commands is Jesus himself. All scripture, the Bible says, points to Jesus himself. In fact, the gospel is not information, it's not promises, it's not four laws, it's not principles, it is a person. The gospel that we are presenting is Jesus himself. Jesus, the person, and he is the lead in the story. Now, the plot of the commands involves obedience and blessing. It involves obedience and blessing. Back to Deuteronomy 4. Again, keep his decrees and his commands which I'm giving you today so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you. Now, on the screen is Ephesians 6. You might find some similarities here. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life. And those of you that are children here, maybe young children here, God's not just picking on you. Because again, as you look back at Deuteronomy 4, it's the same message that he's giving to mom and dad. When you obey and when, when you trust, you are inviting blessing in your life. And that's the way God is has um, set things up. And it's good news. The climax of the story, the climax is life. It's life. The Bible talks about abundant life. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. It's abundant life and it's eternal life. Now this is eternal life, John 17 says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And really, abundant life and eternal life is one and the same. It's one and the same. It's not abundant life now and eternal life later. It is both, in quotes, now. 
Abundant eternal life begins now. And as we do things God's way and submit ourselves to Him, again, we invite blessing in our lives. All right? These, these next points are going to go a lot faster, I promise to you, if you're getting a little bit concerned. Number two, uh, the tender commandments are an exclusive story. It's an exclusive story. Not only is it a love story, which it is, it's an exclusive story. Back to Exodus 20, verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Ron Mills says it this way, Our number one task as believers is to make sure that nothing, no God, person, object, task, duty, or pleasure comes before Him in our priorities, in our plans, and in our affection. A clear picture of this, you've heard it said before, can be found in our personal calendar, or can be found in our checkbook, or perhaps could be found in our Facebook status. All right, now I'm let me quickly hasten to say, I'm not recommending necessarily, unless you're so inclined, for you to use Facebook as a platform to preach. There are some people that do. God bless them. I usually just get on Facebook to play, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but I do try and season it at times with salt. But our priorities show up in many ways, and we've got to be honest with our affections. What are our priorities? What are our plans? What are our affections? What are our tasks? And are there things that are truly placing themselves up on the altar of our life above the Lord? Why is he calling us to have no other gods before him? Because, obviously, no other gods exist. We'll get to that more in just a moment. Here's the good news. He says no other gods before me because... Jesus wants us for himself. He wants us for himself. That's why we were created, by the way. Is God jealous? Yes, he is. But not in the petty, selfish way that oftentimes we see jealousy. He does want our affection, our exclusive affection. God simply wants us, and he wants us to want him. I know, I, know, I know that there's a lot of big words there. I learned that in seminary, so I'll say it again. God wants us. He simply wants us, and he wants us to want him. Ron Mill talks about uh, having a picture of his wife in, in his wallet. And you know, I know we don't have VCRs anymore. Does anybody, does anybody carry a wallet anymore? You know, does anybody wear a watch anymore? Uh, I mean, it, it, is, it is quite a country for sure. But, uh, you know, some people perhaps still carry a picture in their wallet. Most probably have a picture on their, you know, smartphone, right? But Ron talked about, you know, so what if I were to have another picture of another beautiful lady in my wallet beside my wife that I'm introducing to other people? Would it be petty if my wife, you know, jealous of my wife, if she has a problem with me, you know, showing off a picture of somebody else? doesn't make any sense, obviously. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. He wants an exclusive in our lives. Why? Because he wants us for himself. And because he knows that our hearts are prone to wander. He knows that our hearts are prone to wander. The words of the hymn that you maybe are humming in the back of your mind, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one 
that I love. One of the saddest verses in all of Scripture, it's actually, I'm actually kind of putting a couple of verses together from the beginning of Judges and the end of Judges. And it says this, it's on the screen. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. And what a sad, sad commentary that is on the obedience and the discipleship of the nation of Israel. And it happened over and over again. As a generation would destroy the idols in the high places and they would get back to the Lord and they would restore the altar and they would serve Him. And after they died, another generation would grow up and they just began to go out into the left field as other generations before them had done. And it happens over and over and over again. And unfortunately, it didn't need to happen. It's a sad commentary. And prone to wander, that is the reality. And that's why we need to be reminded over and over again of God's basic plan for our life because ultimately it is for our good. Ron Mill has a great prayer that, uh, that I want to read to you um, a couple of pages later. Really powerfully put. It says, Lord, I praise you as the all-powerful, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God of the universe. What really touches me is that you control all things for my good. You made me for yourself and it moves me to think you would choose me for a committed love relationship. You have proven your faithfulness to me so many times and in so many ways. Why would I ever seek another God who would be so grossly inadequate in, in comparison to you? And so today, Lord, give me the grace to love you every day as you have loved me. Powerfully put. Number three, the tender commandments are also a living story. It's a love story like no other. It's an exclusive story as he's calling us to himself as the one and only God. And it's also a living story. Back to Exodus 20, verse 4 now. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, we get a great picture of God's heart there. Idols. Don't take for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Why? Because idols ultimately are empty images. They're empty images. There's no substance there. There's no power there. So what is the equivalent? For those of us that, that aren't of the mind, you know, to cast a calf or to build one of those idols of the heathen nations surrounding Israel at that time, what are the modern equivalents? Thinking in terms of material things. The Bible says that greediness is idolatry. You'll find that in Colossians. Power, pleasure, fame, status, pursuits, personalities, even our sports teams. For some of us right now, that's perhaps more of a problem than it is for others of us. But, uh, but ultimately, idols are empty 
images. Psalm 135 says this, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. And this is the line not to miss. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. And how many people in our world are being introduced to the reality of emptiness because they are pursuing empty idols, vain pursuits. And they don't realize that there is no substance and there is no power. There's only disillusionment and despair and destruction. Again, Ron Mill says, the clear fact is we become like that which we worship. False images will never satisfy my deeper thirsts or the longings of my heart. If you drink this water, you'll just be thirsty again. But there is a well. Ron also draws a comparison of when he visited Universal Studios and saw those false front you know, movie scenes, you know, like in the westerns and so on, and seeing those and just going, wow, cool. You know, I saw those in the movie. And then you look, you look behind those false fronts, and it's just filled with a bunch of junk. You know, burned out cars and, you know, all the stuff that they use for props. And this movie scene that looks so cool, you know, in the movies, there's no substance there. There's, there's you know, there's no store there with any goods. And that's very much the case. Now, when you think in terms of idols, perhaps um, one of the most recognizable idols of our age is seen in the picture here on the screen. Perhaps you remember uh, the movie from a few years ago, The, uh, um, the Night at the Museum. And uh, that, is, that is the famous dum-dum scene, which is appropriate. Uh, you know, those that craft and, and follow idols are dum-dum indeed, but... Uh, but in this, in this scene, everything is coming to life in the museum at night. And, uh, and the dum-dum idol uh, wanted gum-gum. So you see, that's kind of what's, you know, on his face as he's blown this big bubble and it's popped. Everything in the kingdom, next in your notes, speaking at night at the museum, everything in the kingdom of God lives. Just like at that night at the museum where all of a sudden... Um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt lives and all the little characters and, uh, and even the Pharaoh as he's pounding on his, you know, tomb trying to get out. But the reality is that everything in the kingdom of God lives, even the sacrifices. Our culture and even our religion always demand more from us, never less. And that's why Jesus has called us to himself, to his yoke. Because the Bible says that his, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. How many people live that way? How many days have I lived that way? And when we come to Jesus, he removes that weight that culture and religion wants to put on our shoulders. He's a wonderful, wonderful God. Not only will we live well and long, but clearly, according to the scripture, so will those that come after us. God's desire is not to curse. God's desire is to bless. But he knows that not only will there be consequences for our sin in our lives, but also in our offspring and in our family. God can forgive us, but there are still consequences. 
And, and many of us know that all too well. God doesn't desire those consequences. But the consequences are a reality. But, but he says, even though the consequences are a reality, for a generation or two, his desire is that thousands of generations would be blessed because of our obedience. Why no idols? Why serve the one and only God? Why only Jesus? Because he is, after all, the only God who lives. The tomb is empty, and it's not too early to say he's alive. And in fact, I just heard, I just heard a song. You know, sometimes it takes you a little while to warm up to a song, but I heard a, I heard a song called Alive on the radio the other day by Natalie Grant. Oh my, that is, that is a great, great song uh, that, I, that I would encourage you to perhaps download to your uh, iPod. But um, he is the only God that lives. And he is the God that wants us to live in fellowship with him. The greatest story ever told that's been captured in the pages of scripture and written in stone does indeed powerfully introduce us and tenderly introduce us to the one and the only God. Can you hear again the voice of Moses saying, acknowledge and take to heart this day. The Lord is God. There is no other in heaven above or on the earth below. And if you will, and if you will keep the decrees and the commands that I'm giving you this day, it will go well with you and your children. And you will dwell long in the land that God is giving you for all time. Can you hear the voice of Joshua who takes that baton of leadership and actually leads the nation into the promised land? And Joshua was saying, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouths Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Would you stand with me? So we spend just a moment, as is our custom, in just responding to the Lord. We oftentimes will bow our heads and close our eyes, not because there's anything necessarily religiously significant about it, but it just allows us some undistracted moments. And the question that I have for you this morning is, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? Have you embraced Jesus the person not just the concept, not just the religion or the principles, but the person of Jesus. Because just as Moses was making the appeal to the nation of Israel before they crossed over, and just as Joshua was making his appeal right as they were crossing over, so Jesus makes his appeal to us today, saying the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full this is eternal life God has sent us Jesus himself 
And God's desire for you is abundant life. That's why He's given us boundaries. That's why He's given us these tender commandments. Not so that we would tremble in fear, but so, but so that we would fear Him in recognition of His power and His authority. But also as the God that ch chose not to just reside in glory, but to come down to take on the form of a man in human flesh and be subject to temptation and subject to pain and subject to rejection and subject to the whips and the scorn and the crucifixion. Because he's a God that would go to the ends of the earth and still will to have relationship and fellowship with you. That fellowship with God Himself begins with believing in Him. Simply believing that He is who He says He is. He is the one and only God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the name that is not only above every other name, but the name in which we find life. Why? Because he's alive. He's the only God. He's the only God. And Jesus is more than a good man, more than a good teacher, more than a good prophet, as every world religion will agree with. But Jesus is God himself come in the flesh to save, to rescue, and to restore fellowship with him. And Jesus is saying, just as Moses and Joshua were appealing to the nation of Israel, Jesus is appealing today. Not screaming at you today, but in a quiet whisper in your heart, saying, would you come to me and live? And if we will simply put our faith and our trust in Jesus himself, the Bible says we will cross over from darkness to light, from death to life, from judgment to blessing.